Today with the Universal Church, we celebrate Gaudente Sunday or Rejoice Sunday. But I want us to focus on this first line, this first part of our gospel reading. Because if we're called to really rejoice, we must find why we are rejoicing. But the challenge and difficulty in our day and age and in our life right now is what is there to rejoice about? How are we rejoicing? Because in some, in some fact, we get so engaged, infatuated, and sucked in to this commercialized aspect of Christmas, there's hardly anything to rejoice about. All, some of us are very preoccupied in making sure we get our Christmas tree up, to set up our Christmas lights, to go out and make sure we get all these Christmas deals from all these stores, and doing all these commercialized things about Christmas, that it just is another day. It's just another opportunity for us to gather together. The church gives us this random theme, and, and that's, that's, that's the end-all be-all. There's really nothing to rejoice about. What is subtle, because in our gospel reading today, at the beginning, we hear John the Baptist in prison sending his message, his disciples to Jesus, asking Jesus if you are the true Messiah. It is a very subtle statement, but I think it really unpacks and begins to unwind everything for us, especially why the church calls us to rejoice. John the Baptist, a man who was preaching in the desert, of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He goes out into the river Jordan, baptizing this baptism of repentance. And when Jesus comes down and gets baptized by John the Baptist, he acknowledges and recognizes that you are the Messiah. But yet all of a sudden now he's in prison and he's unsure of this person he proclaimed to be the Messiah, to even be the Messiah at all. And he has to send his disciples to go out to Jesus and verify for him if Jesus was the Messiah. But what is subtle, including in that, is Jesus didn't just go outright and say, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's here to save the world, to restore all things. But instead, he points to the deeds, the actions, and the things that he's done in his ministry to prove and to verify who Jesus is. These last couple of days for me and my family has been a very difficult couple of days. On Wednesday afternoon, I get a phone call from my father saying that my grandmother has just passed away. It was kind of an unexpected and a sudden thing that has occurred. And so I rushed over to her bedside to see if she was still alive and I walk into her house to see the fire department and the police there. And at that point, they've marked her room as a crime scene to figure out what has happened. And as they kind of go in and investigate to see if it was natural death or was there other causes that has led to her death, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I've spent all this time with her, preparing and knowing within my heart that I should honor and live life to the fullest. I should live as if there's no tomorrow 
and to love everyone unconditionally the way God has called me to love them. But yet, as I stand here before you, it's still a heart-wrenching thing to even be talking about, to be sharing about. Because I myself, like John the Baptist, am imprisoned by these aspects of this world, imprisoned by the things that surround me, imprisoned with the doubts, the fears, the questions of, is heaven real? Is God really coming to save her? If I lived out all of these teachings, these things that I knew was going to happen, why do I still feel really bad, deep down in my gut, feel uncomfortable about what has happened? I'm called to rejoice knowing that she's going to heaven. She's going to be face to face with God and live in heaven for all eternity with him. So where is the joy? There's so much doubt and question just like John the Baptist has when he was in prison. So how do you begin to find and seek that joy? How do you begin to trust in that message that you begin to see and you receive? That subtlety comes in finding it in through the miracles of life. You begin to find it in the miracles of the day-to-day, and those are the moments in which we're called to rejoice. Yes, it's a difficult moment to accept and acknowledge that my grandmother is not here any longer. I won't get to see her face anymore. I won't get to see that joy and that laughter she has, her personality anymore. Those memories, those joys are moments of rejoicing. But what also becomes joy is the fact that there is meaning beyond everything else. The Savior, the Redeemer that we're waiting for and anticipating for came in a manger 2,000 years ago. He redeemed it all. We hear in our our first reading today, we go about wandering aimlessly, not finding what we need, not being really content. Because if we truly ask ourselves, are we really happy with where we're at? We can probably come up with excuses of something more. There's something else I want to achieve. Maybe I want to be a millionaire. Maybe I want to make more money. Maybe I want a bigger house. Maybe I want to drive my dream car. There's something more that we want. But when we achieve those goals, we want more and more and more. Because we're not satisfied with what we're having. We're not satisfied and content with what we have. And for that reason, in our first reading today, the analogy between a desert and a blossom. Because we live in a world that is a desert, my dear brothers and sisters, that is bare, that is plain, that has no meaning. All we see is empty vastness and dryness. There's something that we want and yearn for. But what happens when a rainfall occurs in the desert? Everything blossoms and grows. It was interesting because at the last Mass, I shared about how I did research to really double-check that fact. And a man at the end of Mass shared with me a really beautiful story. He was growing up in, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he said, yes, that barren desert, Father, is a true thing. Dry, you know, difficult to grow anything. 
But he said one year, all of winter, it began to rain. And all of a sudden, in the spring in Las Vegas, Nevada, everything was growing and luscious green. Scientists went out to come to find out there were seeds that were planted in that sand, in that dry desert area, for 75 years. And finally, it has blossomed and grow. That, that water that we need in our desert, my dear brothers and sisters, is the joy and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, becoming man, entering into our lives, and nourishing and feeding that desert, that emptiness. It's not just feeding and giving us water that we need, but most importantly, it gives us new life. As small and as little as water can be, it brings about new life and nourishment. And so as small as we can be, as difficult as it can be in our life, the difficulties of finding joy and to be able to rejoice God enters into this world and penetrates the heart, the difficulties and the crevices of our lives, wanting to nourish and give us meaning, purpose, joy in our life. But do we really want that in our life? We carry so many doubts. We carry so many fears that we close ourselves from God and tell him, I don't want you in here. For me, throughout these last couple of days, I've shut myself off from the world, trying to make sense of all of this. How did God allow this to happen? How do I find meaning? How do I rejoice in it? And especially as we come to Christmas, how do I enjoy Christmas now knowing that my grandmother is not here? But I begin to see those fruits of her life the joys that she has, that trust she has, turning herself completely to Christ, that brings me joy. The fact that our Lord Jesus Christ became man to rid ourselves of sin, to conquer death in this world, so that you and I, our lives does not end at death, period. But our life continues after death. Death becomes the gate through which we enter eternal life, and therefore there's something more beyond us. There's more to life than just what we have here on earth. There's more to our relationships than just what we see and have here. But the ability to relate, the ability to love, the ability to have a God who cares for each and every one of us, and who wants the best for each and every one of us. That's the joy we have to hold on to. That's the joy that we need to dig ourselves into. And that's the joy of the Christ that we're about to receive at Christmas. This joy is a joy that is subtle. A joy that we hear in our letter of St. Paul by St. James. That we have to be patient and cultivate. He gives us another beautiful analogy as a farmer. Who cultivates the ground plants the seeds, watch it, nourish it, and make sure that the seed is planted, cared for, and grown. It takes time. It takes patience. But at the end of that patience grows fruit, bears fruit. And the farmer then cuts it down and repeats it over and over and over. We know Jesus came to us 2,000 years ago, and we are still waiting for his second coming in glory. So in that, we have to rejoice and prepare as if he's coming tomorrow, to be patient, 
This patient that we're called to is not just sitting around and not doing anything and hoping that farm that we've prepared will grow. It requires us to work, to chip at, to prepare. And every year we wait, our technique, our ability becomes deeper, becomes better, becomes more fruitful. And in doing so, we begin to cultivate more joy, more excitement, more peace, more happiness within our lives. And everything we do has more meaning, begins to flourish, begins to grow deeper and deeper and firmer in the ground. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, as we continue our preparation in Advent, we've looked at who we're waiting for. We've looked at what we're waiting for. And now we know exactly who is coming and what that person is going to bring for us. The question for us today is, are we ready? Do we trust in that message? Are we able to unveil ourselves of the things, the chains, the gates that hinder us from truly opening ourselves up to that? to prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls for the beautiful coming of our Lord and Savior in Christmas. To prepare ourselves and to cultivate that readiness, that preparation, that eagerness for his second coming in glory. And are we ready to be transformed and changed? Because as a barren desert, that rain that comes about changes the landscape forever when we allow him to enter into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits, we are going to change. Our life with Christ will never be be the same again. That joy will begin to radiate out of us and we will never be able to understand why. But we know that joy is from Christ. So are we ready for it? Are we prepared for that coming? Or are we still confused, dazed in that desert, looking for meaning, looking for purpose, and looking for joy? Amen.